Hey everyone and welcome to the podcast. This episode is proudly brought to you by, well, anybody. We are currently looking for a sponsor for the Road to Success podcast. So if you, an organization or business you know or are involved with might be interested in finding out some more information about sponsoring the Road to Success podcast, then please contact me online either via mattylovell.com or you can find me on Facebook or Instagram too. We can start to go over how things might work and have you or your business sponsoring the Road to Success podcast. Until then, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Road to Success podcast. My name is Maddie Lovell. Thank you so much for joining me today as I chat to entrepreneur and businessman, Sir Michael Hill. Sir Michael, thank you so much for your time. It's a, it's a real privilege to, to speak with you today. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Now, look, I know most people listening are going to obviously know your name, they're going to know your business, but I guess where I'd like to start is your life before that, because you have a, a very interesting interesting story, and, and certainly from the outside looking in, it's sort of, you, you would kind of think that your life before starting your business really sort of helped shape the success you've had in later life. So maybe if we could start sort of with, with high school, maybe, because I know that wasn't necessarily the most pleasant of time for you. Yes, well, I, I guess my life sort of been in two sections, really. So I suppose if there was a, you know, there was two big volumes of books. Um, uh, so there's uh, um, phase one and phase two. I think the first phase was up to the age of forty, and then the second age was forty on. So for the next forty years, so and there've been absolutely a, a, an enormous contrast in. Um, in everything, really. Uh, I, I guess, you know, the, the first 40 years is an informative time and a time um, where one's um, trying to discover oneself, I suppose, and then getting over um, things that go wrong and um, and then not enjoy, well, and not then, um, then there's things that go right, of course, and... Um, and then there's, of course, the, the thought of complacency as well. So uh, one has to um, beware of that one. Uh, that can 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 uh, can affect the journey quite well. Um, but yes, so um, I mean, I, I just had quite a sheltered childhood. I was an only child and brought up in northern New Zealand and um, in a farming community. And um, yeah, life was pretty average, I suppose, for a young guy there and. Uh, um, uh, but I, I didn't really fit too much in school. I was not bad in primary school, but secondary school, uh, I didn't really care for that too much. Uh, I, I really wanted to be more interested in music and art and things like that. And that was really, um, quite unusual at that Wangari Boys High School. In fact, it was so unusual. I think I was the only, um, the only person in the fifth form that sat art school certificate. So that's quite something, isn't it? So that probably sums yeah. it up, really. And as well as that, I was not a rugby player, which was a bit of a shame, really, because, you know, um, that's how you fitted into the scene. And I wasn't sports. I was actually quite hopeless at sports. God knows why, but I was. And, of course, that didn't fit me too well. So I got bullied at school, and that was quite traumatic, actually. In fact, that had quite a pronounced effect on me for quite a few years. And it actually... Um, it, it it made my learning virtually dormant for quite a long while, and uh, yes, I couldn't concentrate on what was happening at school or in the classroom. So that that wasn't good. 
But on reflection, you know, I mean, the, all these things are um, just make you why they, they they make you stronger and and wiser, and um, or you know, or make you worse, really. Um, so, but I, I sort of boxed on, and then I left school to become a violinist, and uh, that didn't quite work out as it was supposed to. So I was forced to then become a watchmaker in my uncle's jewellery store, and uh, I didn't last too long at that either because I was actually, for some reason, I just found it such a strange thing to be looking through a, you know, through a, a glass at the inside of a watch and uh, and 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 trying to um, take it apart, put it together, clean it and um, do all the things you have to do in watch repairs. But it really didn't suit me and it certainly didn't suit the um, the watchmaking department who were really sick and tired of me once again um, actually spoiling watches rather than repairing them. So, so they then put me in the front of the shop with my dad and my dad was a great salesperson, being an Electrolux salesman way back and having joined the family jewellery business, he was a really good salesperson. He could, he could sell anything and he was a great, had a great skill at it and it was a great art. And he taught me the steps of a sale and, and I learned how to sell from him. I didn't really want to do that, I might add, when I started. I couldn't have been any worse. But I stood there and I really think, well, I didn't think I had any future, so I, I, I just stayed there and I learned and learned and learned and dressed the windows as well. I did enjoy dressing windows because it was something was artistic. And I, I had a long apprenticeship of 23 years, uh, which is quite incredible when you look back. And I... I um I I was always thinking I should perhaps have my own jewelry shop, but I never had the I never had the courage to step out and do it. So um yeah, it's funny how things work. And so everything had been sort of a progression of um from being in school and not enjoying it and feel um, um dominated, bullied, um not very good at sport, not good at a lot of things. That that actually made me sort of go introvert a little bit, and um, wasn't wasn't that good. But when I started playing the violin, I, I could free up, and I thought it was really good. And uh, I really enjoyed the eighteen months of solid practice and and preparing for a New Zealand competition, which I didn't win. And then entering the the, the jewellery stop, well, that once again was a thing I didn't really want to do, so there was sort of another setback. And uh, so I really had told myself that I wasn't really any good and I really shouldn't be doing any more than what I was doing. And I became quite um, uh, acceptant of the fact that um, that I wouldn't probably um, do all that much. I always had the inkling that it would be nice to have had a bigger share of my uncle's shop, but he wasn't keen to sell me. He sold me 10%, but it was quite useless, actually. But um, I never really had any more, and I would have... Would have that would have been the idea? Would have been to at least have half my have bought into half my uncle's business, and then you know, and having the thrill of expansion. But he didn't want that, and he didn't. I don't think he actually liked me. Although it was a very weird setup. So um, I got married to a girl from England. Um, we had uh, we, we actually bought a home. I even put built a room on the home, which is something I shouldn't have been able to do. I did. That was a lot of fun. We had two lovely children. Whoops, I've lost you. I'll just come back. It cuts off. We have two lovely children and um, 
Um, I bought some flats next door to the house and we did those up and we sold those and made a bit more money. And Christine as an art teacher was earning more than me, but between the two of us, we had sufficient money to, to buy a piece of land that came up on the Wangare Harbour, which was a beautiful block, 10 acres of natural native bush, uh, very steep to get in. And no one thought we'd put a drive up. We got a drive up and we built this house by Claude Megson design. Claude Megson's probably now one of the uh, when when people do architecture in New Zealand, he's mentioned, you know, along with Ian Athfield and as sort of one of the great um, instigators of a new form of um, of um, um, planning and 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 uh, sympathetic to the landscape. And he built a beautiful. We had a beautiful home which uh, was colossally under. Um, undervalued by Claude. Well, it was supposed to be finished in, in just over a year. And, you know, in two years, we, we were just finishing it off. So it was quite a, an interesting challenge. And that meant that we, because we didn't have, um, uh, we were running out of money that we, we had to do a lot of the things, which I really enjoyed painting windows, grouting tiles. Uh, being a tile layer all of a sudden, doing all sorts of things and and varnishing everything. And you know, the house was all wooden side. And one night we went to the pictures and I would actually been um, at linseed oil and turpentine is the mix that you mix together and you put that on with a big brush. And I was um, putting this linseed oil on the on the tower weatherboards, which were on the walls and in the ceiling of the house. It was quite magnificent, really. And it was raining, so Christine said, we're going to the pictures. Stop that. So so I think I think what actually happened, I put the brush in the, in, it just in the remaining linseed oil and turpentine and put, put a cheesecloth over the top of it. And it was in a plastic, big plastic drum, went to the pictures. Then we get a phone call to say uh, that the house is on fire and on on recollection, um, that mix is, is, is combustible. And I think what had happened is it actually had, had, um, heated up and exploded. And then it would have crept and would have gone up the walls, which I had just painted. And then, of course, the, the, the house was, uh, was totally engulfed in flames. So, so it, it was on that night that I woke up. I really did wake up because before that I'd been sort of um, uh, too too frightened to dream of what I could do. I really was. And that really woke me up. I, I'd always listened to and I'd tried very hard to goal set. I'd tried really hard. I'd listened to um, Dale Carnegie, who I think still that book of How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a strange name, but it's a beautiful book of human nature and and how to you know, make people um, like you and you like them. And I think it was a wonderful story. He's also wrote another one of on public speaking. Both books are absolutely exceptional that most people should really read. Young people get a lot out of it. And then there was Dennis Waitley, there was Earl Nightingale, there was all the authors of you know, think and grow rich and all, all those things. But even though I tried to do goal setting, for some reason, I just couldn't make the first move. And I think the thing that I learned very quickly from the house fire, well, in a matter of minutes, that the goal setting was about to start. And I had a, I, I was just standing watching these flames and I had, a, I had, a, I had a, a, a card in my pocket and I, I can remember taking it out and I, and I wrote on, you know, own my uncle's business. And if he doesn't sell, I'm going to start my own jewellery business. And that 
happened at the age of 40. And that was the turning point in me committing to make a decision to move somewhere. And that, I think, is the key to a lot of young people's success, and not just young people, anyone. I mean, Ray Kroc started McDonald's at 50, 56. Anyone can start anything at any age if they're really committed and they have ever have the desire to do it. So I suddenly, I mean, I, well, look, I, I had two options, really. I could have reverted back and gone and worked for my uncle and my dad had retired and I could possibly, well, I could manage, I was managing the shop. I could carry on doing that. But underneath I felt that was quite hollow, really, and I felt, um, I'd always felt there was, there must be something better that I could do. So that, of course, was just, Suddenly, the idea came to me and I wrote it down and that anchored me on the idea. Um, but looking back, of course, it was a, it was probably a most unusual time to do it because I was underinsured. I had no money, really, because uh, it was all tied up in the house. Uh, and, um, yeah, here we are wanting to... to, to buy my uncle out. But I found a backer, you see. This is the thing, if you're keen enough somehow you work it out. And there was this guy I played music with and I knew he had, I had inherited a big fortune from, from, uh, from the United Kingdom. And so I, I started playing music with him and sold the idea that he would join me to, um, to have a crack at buying the family business. And, um, it was an amazing deal because, um, I would have thought my best wish he, he would be a 50-50 arrangement, which I thought would be amazing. But he said, look, I don't care. 20% will do. I'll put up the money. You've got the expertise. Let's have a crack at it. So we made a bid for my uncle's business, but, of course, he um, he didn't really want to sell to me. Uh, and we made another bid, and it still wasn't going to be for sale. So it left me um, really with only one option, which was actually turned out to be the best option to start an opposition. And we started, my uncle, I mean, it was a very, it turned out to be probably in the top four jewellery businesses in New Zealand at that stage in the 1978. And um, so um, we... Um, Bought a little shop with a 15-foot front, which was a grocery shop. I managed to pay 20,000 key money, quite a lot in those days, to, to get Mr. McDonald to own that. It was a prime site to get him to move out. And then there's fishes up the road that my previous shop that had had a 30-foot front, so it was half the size. But we specialised in jewellery and no one had done that really. We just sold jewellery. We didn't sell cookie clocks and china and all the other things that jewelers did sell, we specialised, and that was key. That was a key. So we didn't need much space. And then doorways were always small and in, uh, very formal, and um, um, everyone was in a formal. Even the approach was formal. Everything was formal, and we can change that by having a big doorway. Which I got the idea from Hong Kong, the old Hong Kong and Singapore gold marks, where they had a roller door, and we did that, and we put very simple windows with, um, which we change every week in front of them to attract people. And then they'd, they'd enter the shop and it was, they were right there, right, virtually 
by the street looking at diamond rings, which had never been done before. And then, of course, I was, I had been doing some quite clever advertising for my uncle, and that was going quite well in the Northern Advocate and in, on the local radio station, Radio Northland. And that was working really well. So, of course, once I started up by myself, we, we used both those medias to advantage and, uh, uh, they, they were going really well. And then after going for three years, I started on television. And that was a huge change. And at that stage, TV One was the only station. So uh, we had a captive audience and it was just went like absolutely crazy. So it, so, but, but, and then the rest becomes history. I mean, we, we, I, I actually wanted to expand further and we had, we, we got five shops and my backer was, becoming a little, well, he well, he was enjoying it, but his wife said, I never see you. So I could see there could be a friction. So I bought Nigel out and owned it a lot, 100%, but I didn't have sufficient money to um, to expand. So um, so I went public and um, raised $4 million to have a crack at Australia. And uh, so we went over there and did the same TV advertising and uh, took the place by storm. And now we've got, what, 176 shops in Australia, 55 in New Zealand. And, and then we went to Canada and we, we ended up with another 80, we've ended up with another 88 shops there. So it's been a hell of a ride. But it all started, and I think this is the important thing, it all starts with a dream. And at some stage, you have to put a stake in the ground and you've got to decide that you're going to move, you're going to, you're going to start on the journey. Because if you don't make the first few steps on the journey and you don't write it down, it's it's one of those things that I I see it's still a lot of people looking back that had so much quality, but either they were frightened to make the step or they were too comfortable in their lifestyle to bother um, to push any harder. And that's one thing I've, I, I will find that a lot of People in the, and I was in the general class of school, but a lot that were in the top two forms and even, even as much as saying the, you know, the head prefects and the ducks of the school. And if you look back, it's surprising how few of those have actually achieved, um, that much really compared to some of the people from the bottom classes that had to if they were going to do something, had to make a significant input. And, uh, being comfortable is a very, is a very, um, becomes very difficult to motivate oneself because you can have, I mean, you know, you, you've got everything comes to you. Um, you're doing well. You're good at sport. You're good at thing there. Uh, life's good. Everything goes along beautifully and you can have a nice lifestyle. You don't have to press yourself. But if you do push yourself, there's so much more out there. And as you know, uh, by pushing yourself, uh, then it becomes an enormous thrill and an, an, an enormous motivation driver in its own rights. So the, the lesson, the, the secret I found was literally was to write something down. And um, I, I think everybody needs to make a commitment to have a 30-year plan a 30-year plan, you'd be surprised how few people have really got a clear blueprint 
of a 30-year plan. In fact, it's so small that it puts you on an enormous advantage because nobody else is doing it. This gives you an enormous legs up. I mean, it's quite ridiculous that people don't because our necktop computer is so powerful that if whatever we think, and if we think it's strong enough and keep on thinking it, then it's just going to take you with it. In fact, it, it will be effortless if you do that. One other thing, though, that makes a big difference, and for those people, and a lot of people today, and in my day, it hasn't changed much, but it's at the moment we're going through a bad period, of course, with, you know, people in lockdown and COVID and people can self-analyze and become depressed and young people can become quite, anyone can become depressed. But the, 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 the secret is that we have to quieten the mind down because the little voices keep talking to you. And if you listen to the voice all the while, if you keep listening to it, it will tell you exactly what you don't want to hear. And that's why, because negative thoughts are easier to come into the brain than positive ones, that if we listen to the voice, it's usually going to be talking to you continually, but it's going to be telling you things you shouldn't be doing or can't do this or I'm depressed, I'm going to get more depressed, you're going to get really depressed, I'm not feeling good about it, I'm going to get more depressed. So it can actually talk you into something and what I've found is that by doing a transcendental meditation, there's lots of meditation, but by doing some form of meditation, it's like rebooting the computer. So with 20 minutes of my meditation where you sit up in bed and just repeat a mantra that the TM people give you, by repeating that, you do get an, an opportunity to quieten down the self-chatter. And in fact, it generally, after you've done your meditation, your, your mind is clear. It's like a clear slate. It isn't confused. It's not the voices talking to you all the while, which can be very tiring, very stressful. Particularly a lot of people can't sleep. You know why they can't sleep? Because the voice is talking. They tell me you can't sleep. You're not going to sleep well tonight. I haven't slept for the last two I'm getting really stressed out about it. I don't think I'm going to sleep too well. I know I'm going to get up at one o'clock. Oh, so I can feel it coming up. You know, you can talk yourself in anything. So uh, some form of meditation to still the brain down, to still the little self-chatter down so that then... You can, you can, you can focus on your goals, which is very important. The other thing I think is really important that everybody tries once they're on this journey. It's a great journey and it's so exciting that they want to do everything. And that's also a recipe for failure. So you have to eliminate 80% of the things you do and make a sacrifice on those to concentrate on the 20% that's going to make a difference to take you where you need to go. Wonderful. Well, there's so much in there. I have, I have, I have further questions on, but I'm, I'm very interested in the, in the, in the meditation. To, I'd like to explore that a bit further with you. I, I think, um, you know, the idea of a th of a 30 year goal is something that I've, I've never heard before, and I don't think um, many people have. Can I can I ask what what your most recent 30 year goal is? Well, the trouble is, of course, I can't have a 30 year goal now because that would make me that may be about 100, uh, nearly 110 or something. I don't think I'm going to last that. Well, it'd be nice. I might do. That's right. So I really have to be a tiny bit more realistic. But up till now, I have always had. But one thing, whatever the goal is, once you've achieved it, you you have never arrived. It's very easy to think, aha, I'm on top of Everest now. I've conquered. I've conquered exactly what I want to do. I've got all, everything I said I'm going to do is in place. Here's 30 years. And believe me, the 30 years will probably be in 20 years or 50 because it happens much quicker normally than you expect. 
So once you've, on top of that mountain, you do need to find another or how to face the climb because the worst thing you can do is say, I've arrived, pull back, pull the handbrake on, lie in the lazy boy or sit on the beach and I'm just going to do basically nothing. I'm going to have a good time. Well, I tell you what, that's a recipe for disaster. So, so I, I don't, I think we're, I, I think as humans, we're meant to keep going. I don't think we're, and in fact, for long life, there's no doubt about it, that the people who, um, who have a vested interest in their pursuing their goals definitely live longer. I look back, uh, I, I have a, have a, a violin um, made by, by uh, not um, not Stradivarius, but some Stradivarius was lived in the early seventeen hundreds. He he lived till ninety four when the life expectancy and that was around about forty forty five. And why did he live so long? Because he he was always pursuing to make the perfect violin, and he did. He's made violins that no one can still make, which is incredible to think of it. And then we take, you know, we have um, Attenborough. I mean, what an amazing man, 93, still doing a program. Just, I don't know if you've seen it, a beautiful program on the, on our future, which is quite um, depressing in a way, which shows that we, we will have to be better custodians of our world. But once again, why is he alive? And it's because they have the will and the drive to not retire, to keep pushing on their goals and finding another goals that, that, that drives them further forward and keeps them challenged and something to jump out of bed in the morning for. So goal setting is the answer. And as difficult as it is, you have to make a start. Like you've got to say, in a month's time, I'm committing. I'm not quite sure what i got to do, but I'm going to put it down on the paper. Whatever it is, you write it down, put it in simply on a piece of paper. If you like writing an essay, write an essay. Like me, I would write about 10 words and then fold it up from a piece of paper, fold it up from an A4 paper, put it in an envelope and put it in the safe or in the, under the bed or somewhere it's safe and review it in 12 months time. The journey will change. It does not saying that if you start on that journey that you end up in 30 years at the same one. It might twist and turn and you might end up in a different direction, but at least it starts you on the journey. You have to start the journey. Yeah, starting's often the hardest part as well, I find. Very hard, the, by far the hardest thing. But the moment you've committed and you really have committed to it, you'll find that from then on, the next top computer will, way it'll take you with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, and 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 if we if we you know obviously from from the very start of of you know one jewelry store and um you know up in the north top of the North Island to to you know where you're at now with you know hundreds of stores across the planet, did you ever think it would get this big? Like I know you like to dream big and aim big. Is it back in those days? Did you foresee this sort of happening? No. Well, you sort of have a, a, a rough idea that you know I had seven shops in seven years, and then seventy, and then. On it went, but you really don't have any idea of the repercussions of what that does, and even some of the difficulties. For instance, if you've got one store, like you're taking a retail store, if you've got one store, you can do a lot of things wrong and get away with it. You can have two stores and 
doesn't make a hell of a lot of difference. By five stories, you're starting to see if there's any cracks in the an army that'll start to appear. And, you know, if you've got 50 or 100 or 200 or 300, then, of course, um, any weakness uh, becomes quite disastrous. So it's very important to keep um, perfecting the, the, the setup. The other thing is, of course, we've met so many lovely people. So, I mean, we have about two and a half thousand people work for us and we've made some incredible relationships and also customers as well that are, uh, yeah, anyhow. In that time of, of, you know, the last sort of, you know, since what, 1979, you know, obviously you've had that significant growth. Is there anything that you can really put your finger on? Like, why do you think it's your your business and your business and your and your company has been so successful? Well, that was basically um, a good timing and an unusual upbringing. You see, most jewelry business was start by jewelers who loved. Um, fiddling with watches and mechanical things and like mechanics that um, automobile business and they would have a, a shop uh, and sell watches and jewellery but preferred to be on the bench and that was the normal way that it started and then I learned the totally different which is very unusual from an electrolux salesman my dad um, who taught me the art of the real art of selling really did teach me how to selling which gave us a big difference from the normal upbringing. And I was artistic. So I was able to see that you'd be better with a window, not with 500 products in it, uh, which my uncle thought was marvellous, uh, to having like five products in that same window, which had an enormous effect and, 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 and it attracted far more attention. And that meant that those people didn't even have to make a choice of the window, they actually have to come inside. So, and then the big wide open doorway and then specialising and then showing the jewellery off in a, in a much simpler and, uh, in a better way, and then having the great sales and shit, then back it with a good advertising. I mean, there, no one was doing any of these things. So the other thing is you can imitate, you can copy people, but it's never quite right. You really have to eventually at some stage be yourself. And if you're going to be very successful, you have to rely on your your own ability, really. So, so you do need a good apprenticeship. I wouldn't say that 23 years is necessary, but I'd say a good five is an absolute minimum, five to 10 years to learn a trade really well and learn the art of jewelry selling or uh, whatever it is, or a mechanic or whatever. It doesn't really matter. It's the same time there, really. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Now, now um, one trait that sort of seems to ooze out of you is, is is humility. And if you know, out of any of the people that I've spoken to, um, you know, Sir Michael, Sir Michael, you probably have the most right out of anyone to be outspoken of your achievements. But you, you seem to remain, and, and the fact you're on this podcast is, is a testament to that. You seem to remain so down to earth. Thank you. Well, I think I, I, I really. Um I find that everybody, I really class everybody as an equal. I don't care who it is. Um, I feel they're equally as, um, as the same as me, unless they prove otherwise. So I like being friendly with everyone. And you, I'm surprised sometimes that a lot of people say, oh, he's absolutely useless. And I've got a strange mix of friends. I really do. You've got people who will not understand why I'm even, you know, some people they talk too much and you think, God, why would he want to listen to him? And others at the total reverse, but I find something that most people, well, not all people, but a lot of people have got things there that are hidden away that are quite wonderful to listen to. And I think 
Um, one thing, as I say, there's only one thing I really dislike, and that's arrogance in people. I think that people who show an arrogance, I think uh, I quite pity them, really, because I'm sure they're covering up for a weakness, really. So it's not quite normal. So he, people who sort of tell you how good they are, and I'm so good at this, and I'm the best, and uh, it was so funny, I was at the physio the other day, and he said... Uh, there was something they put, he put an electric shot on my lead because I wasn't behaving. So he gave me some shocks and he says, oh, I'm surprised you can cope with that. He said, I had a, I had a, a guy in last week. He was a big guy and he says, uh, oh, he said, as far as pain, he said, I've got the highest threshold of pain you've ever seen. You'll have never struck anyone like me. He puts them on this thing and he's screaming like a baby. He said, it was so funny. So, so yeah, so those people who put on that front of, uh, uh, Showing an insecurity, which is which is you, you feel a bit sorry for them, but arrogance and people who are arrogant, and because sometimes they've made money, they feel that the arrogance is a lovely thing to have, and I think it's the most awful thing to have. I think money's a great thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with having money. I mean, it's a nice goal, and it does open up all sorts of avenues. I mean, I couldn't have possibly had this beautiful 500 acres I've got and could have built a golf course and the privilege of building a boat and have a wonderful vibe. have all these beautiful things which uh, are all um, custodians for, I guess, really, because we never really own that much all that long. But, no, it's um, uh, I, I, I think um, once one gets money, one must never lose sight of um, keeping things simple and being humble uh, and also, and giving back too. I think the more you share, the more you get, you get back twice as much. And people who don't want to give or won't lend anything or won't give their time, I think that's an awful shame really because they're not, they're not, they're not encouraging young people to do what they should. The other thing I'd like to mention is today is it worries me a tiny bit about um, younger people is manners. The manners that I learnt have sort of all going out the window really. And, you know, it, it's quite appalling, really. And you'll, you'll go somewhere, for instance, and uh, um, as a, sorry, a senior person now, when I enter a room and there's young people there, and a, a lot of them now just uh, land there, Michael, and they just said, but in my day, you would stand up and um, you'd, and then you go and shake his hand or something. But you certainly wouldn't just be lounging around. And I think, I think um, some good old-fashioned manners wouldn't be a bad idea to teach our, our young people. Uh, I, I really do, because... Uh, it's too easy to be loose, but, you know, I think good manners um, make a big difference to the person. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I, I've got a wee story that, that's sort of a testament to hu your humility, if, if, if you don't mind. It was, a, it was a few years ago, I had a, had a good friend who lived in, in Queenstown and um, was a, a sort of a, a contract photographer and between jobs would sort of, you know, help out his friends and, and whatever whatever was work was available. And there was a job um, that his friend needed help with and it was a security guard at the at the, the, the New Zealand Golf Open. And he, he, he said, um, I've got one job for you today. And he said, I, I need you to stand here and, and BMW with a with a primary sponsor or one of the major sponsors of the tournament and he said this is the this is the prime car parking area and your only job for today is to only let BMWs park in there nothing else it's all you have to do and he said right no worries it's a it seems like an easy job 
And, um, and no, it was all just BMWs coming through. And then a different car, I think it was a Mercedes, he came through and said, oh, I'd, you know, I'd like to park in here. He said, look, I've, you know, I've got one job today. It's to only let BMWs into there. And unfortunately, not in a BMW today. And, um, you know, I, I can't let you through. And um, and so the, the person sort of understood and um, and drove off and found a park somewhere else. And it was only a few minutes later when someone came up to him and said, what are you doing? That's that's uh, that's yourself. <laughs> that's Michael. This is his golf course. And um, again, <laughs> absolute testament to your humility, you just drove off and parked somewhere else. Uh, it's priceless. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, dear. A good story, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to ask a quick question. I'm very, very um, conscious of your time today, and I, I know you're busy. I've got a couple, couple of last questions. Um, how have you, how have you been able to balance work, life, family, recreation, living? Because you know it's, it's very, it's very important to be, you know, focused and have goals and, and and be looking to achieve something. But at the same time, you know, you've got to make sure that we're including every element of this human being that we are and enjoying our, our enjoying the process. Well, there's a time when you start up where you are working exceptionally hard and too hard and you're, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're burning the candle at both ends. But after a time, you need to be able to pull back from that. And it, it doesn't achieve anything by working, you know, like, you know, extraordinary hours and working, you know, in the middle of the night and good. It, it, it becomes that you're actually not doing the 80 20 rule. So you have to have the discipline to be able to free yourself up sufficiently that you can have the balance. Cause you haven't got balance. You've got nothing and you haven't even got your health and you could end up with all sorts of problems. So I've always found, I've always been able to have a, like a, a, a fuse break a fuse that if anything gets a bit too tough, I can just blow the fuse and, um, one of the ways I would do if I, if I was in a real world in my head was just swimming, you know, everyone's coming at you at different things and it's just been full on all day and you're tired of afternoon and, um, everything's still coming at you is just go and sit in the bathroom. It's ridiculous. Sit there for about four minutes, do some four minutes of meditation and suddenly the slate's clean and you can come out and you feel the other, you can feel, um, you can feel relaxed again. The other thing is, I don't believe anyone can work, um, you know, from say nine in the morning to nine at the night without taking a proper break. You can work, but you're not going to be at a hundred percent peak rate. So what I used to do is I would take, um, on a long, on a long, those long days, I would take a, um, I'd go for a run and I'd go for a run for about an hour, hour and a half. And, and then come back to the shop and have a quick shower and be back. And then I'd, I'd be so much, um, so much, um, better at, in everything I was doing that it was well worth the effort. So, you know, I, so that balance is vitally important. In fact, it's one of the keys to success because if you burn yourself out, you actually become quite useless really at making really fine decisions. So it's best to, Spend more time having the balance and and getting yourself nice and balanced that you can uh, you can do this thing. Yeah, but you can't be everything to everybody. So you've also got to be aware that you know that even some of your decisions are going to offend some people. But you can't be right to everybody. You've just got to make a balanced decision on whatever you're going to do. And if it's a fair one and you've worked it out properly, you've got to stick with it and. Um, and just do it rather than worrying what people uh, think. Yeah, you just got to just got to get on with it and do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic advice. So, Michael, what are you most proud of? You know, when you look back now, you've you've grown a, a immensely, you know, successful business. You've had two children. You've been um, with you know Lady Christine for fifty five years now. You know, you've you've built a golf course. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind as as you're significantly proud of? Yeah, well, I think it, um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Really, I think it's more the people. Actually, I think it's the people I've met on the journey that have made the. I mean, even last week when I was in in Blenheim, there. I mean, honestly, the people I've met and some of those amazing people. That Mark Davis, he looked after me. You know, they, they couldn't pay me a fee, but, uh, so I came in here. I thought, well, he was so persistent. I'll go in here. Well, I went there. You know, well, I, I rang him this morning. I said, well. I don't think you could have paid me better. I, it wouldn't have matter what you'd have, I'd have earned from that. I could not have had a better experience. So, you know, it was worth 10 times what I would have got paid in uh, whatever the, the fee was and had a wonderful time. And I met some beautiful people and uh, that was so lovely. It's uh, I like to help. So that was so good. Thank you. Yeah, the the people's a people's a great, a great answer. Um, is there any, what do you wish everyone knew? Like it's a it's a it's a tough question, but if you could put a billboard up that the whole world was going to see, or a, or are you going to whisper into the ear of you know, every everyone on the planet? Is there a what would you tell them? Well, I don't think you could say that because I think everyone has a different you know I have different slant on life and a different way and a different goal and everything else. But I think, as I said before, I think the thing is. Um, Please do it. That's the main thing. It's so easy not to. It's so easy to be today. Comfortable is such a bad thing. So just please do it because you've got so much potential and it would be so wonderful to achieve some amazing goals rather than just, you know, I did it, but, you know, I've just had a lovely life. But no, that isn't it. Go for it and do something that's audacious, that really puts the hairs up on the back of your neck and every around thinks, oh, my God, look what he's doing. I think that's amazing. So just do it. <laughs> Mate, Michael, that is uh, fantastic advice. I, I can't thank you enough. Again, I'm, I'm conscious of your time today, but thank you so much. You're a gentleman. You're, you're humble and generous and, and, I guess, living proof of, of you know, please do it, That uh, of what's possible. And, and this podcast is going to live on the internet now and, and inspire a huge number of people. So from, from everyone that's listening and from myself, I, I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you very much. And it was a pleasure to speak to you. Thanks. Okay. Wow. There it is. Sir Michael Hill. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Man, you, you sort of take that for granted, don't you, when you work past a Michael Hill jeweler um, in a mall or a shopping centre that, um, you know, where it all came from. What a fantastic story he's got. And, um, you know, if I'm honest, I, I had probably a dozen more questions I would have loved to ask Sir Michael today, but um, I'm very conscious of his time and he was very generous to to allocate me, um, you know, the, the time that he did today. And there's some fantastic wisdom, some fantastic insights in, in there that I would love to unpack, unpack a lot further, but we just didn't have time today. But, I, you know, listen to it again, take some notes, and for God's sake, write down your 30-year goal, you know, find out what your 80-20 is, figure all that out, look after yourself, look into meditation. There is some some wisdom in there that could really make a difference. So, hey, thank you so much, obviously, to Sir Michael for his time today, and, of course, thank you so much to you for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. Um, the fact that I get to speak to people like Sir Michael Hill um, still blows my mind, and it's all because, you know, we've got this platform that I can record these conversations and share them and the fact that you know people like you listen to them really really does mean the world to me because I absolutely love doing this so 
Thank you so much to you and 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 look, hey, if if you did take some value out of this today, as I always ask, you know, like if there's a, you do a couple of the things, one would to you know subscribe to the podcast, whatever platform you're listening on now, just hit subscribe and you'll get all the new episodes of the um, of the podcast. The second thing would be to do is to to share, you know, it's, it's it's if there's something you took out of today that you know someone that might enjoy the podcast or, or take something out, then um, you know please feel free to share this episode. Um, there'll be a link to share on whatever platform again that you're listening to this episode on right now um, alternatively just tell someone to go check out the road to success podcast we are on both apple Podcasts and spotify thank you so much for your time thank you for listening and in the words of sir michael hill please please do it have a great day see ya bye